All right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are back with another fun-filled episode of the Rising Suns podcast. I'm here tonight with Luke. Howdy. Of course. Um, wouldn't be wouldn't be a Rising Suns podcast with just one of us. Hence the name Suns. Oh, Sun. we have we ever considered trying to see whether or not you could just host it without me if you had a guest on? I don't think. <laughs> I feel like doing that, honestly. It wouldn't work. <laughs> lose lose too much chemistry, I guess. Yeah. So for today's topic, um if if you're sick about nerdy stuff, I'm sorry to disappoint you. It is a combination of our love of Warhammer forty thousand and how it is in the realm of video games. Ooh. Yeah, so if you're over the nerdy stuff, you can just, you know, turn it off right now and go back to your regularly scheduled podcast or um, Spotify playlist. Yeah, granted, I'll try and break it down so you get an understanding of what we're talking about. I'm not going to get super technical, but it's definitely a more niche hobby episode for today. So with talking about uh, video game adaptations uh, in general, I know a lot of people ask is like, uh, bro, why would you want to play like Risk on just the computer? Why not just play it with like full real life? And I'm like, well, you have a point. Sometimes when it's just a one to one. Um, it, it's kind of like, well, if you love a board game so much and you can't play with the people that you want to play with, like in case of me and my brother being states away, uh, it's kind of a nice thing to try and do over the internet technology technology through the power of technology you no longer need to be next to each other to play a game Um, what (laughs) but however uh i I would say a lot of times it's not one-to-one it's usually like the theme or the backdrop right kind of like a lot of folks that are really into the marvel movies Uh, if you're really into the comics you know it's kind of taking a lot of the characters and the setting that you know and love, kind of seeing it in a different medium. Um, as long as you kind of have the environment that you enjoy and know about a little bit and just enjoy the universe, uh, it's never a bad thing to try and put it into another area that you like to also enjoy. Kind of like with a lot of people, it's like, oh, dude, why would you watch a movie adaptation of a book? Just read the book. And it's like, well, sometimes the theater of what you see on the screen really can bring a book to life. However, uh, as a lot of people have seen recently, generally you need to have a good director that has an idea of what is good for the screen and what isn't. Um, I, I'd say... And also, use the source material. <laughs> that, yeah, if you want to actually be faithful to your sources, yes, it would, it would be great to actually know about what you're trying to adapt. Don't just uh, take the name from a book and put it on your fucking movie and say you based this movie on the book and then world war z everybody (laughs) Um, the movie's boring it's really kind of one note i would recommend the actual book by max brooks to read uh the movie if you like kind of boring movies you can turn off zombies i guess watch it but yeah that that's like the most blatant example other stuff is uh, you hear a lot recently with usually fans getting pretty angry about a lot of big major IPs getting their own shows and then changing Halo. things around. 
Halo. <laughs> oh man, that and I, I'm sorry. I I had something caught in my throat. <laughs> yeah. So I, I haven't seen that yet either. Don't don't uh. I don't that's really just, on this it. is some stuff. It's like you know enough. It's like it's not even bother hate watching or worth my time. I'd rather watch things I'm gonna enjoy. I watched the whole season of Rings of Power, so you know I paid my dues for uh, <laughs> unfaithful adaptations. <laughs> so it's all right. They did so well. They got to move from New Zealand to the UK because they can't have the budget anymore. It's all right. Amazing. It means everything's okay. That's um, amazing. But the, back on topic, right? With Warhammer Forty Thousand, uh, if if you're not aware of it, haven't heard our one of our prior episodes on it. It's a it's a pretty what I would say like kind of detailed meaty game you play on the tabletop, um, a rel- relatively big tabletop. A lot of times it's on a six foot by four foot surface. Sometimes you can squeeze it down to a four foot by it's four. It's a foot large foot. table. If we're Big being table. perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. You don't really recognize how big of a table that is until you try to buy one of that size. It's like, oh, well, shit. You're setting it up. It's <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, when you're setting it up, you got to roll out the mat. Um, how do you take something where you're moving little plastic dudes across a field made of plastic and foam, right? Um, well, there's, there's kind of two ways you can adapt it. it. It can be more of a straight conversion where you make the game based around kind of a turn-based sequence like the physical tabletop game. Or you can kind of make it into another genre of the game, uh, but based off of a lore and a backdrop. Um, so it could be maybe more of an action-oriented game. Um, it could be maybe like a role-playing game, uh, maybe like a first-person shooter. Uh, but it uses the whole theme and the setting to kind of add in like, oh, I get that reference. Like, oh, man, that's cool. I understand that. Well, yeah, uh, exactly. Because, you know, you into it. 40K is more than a game, you know, and I'm pretty sure, you know, we uh, we kind of previously hit on that in our previous episode. But like you said, it's it's an entire setting. You know, there's uh there's there's all these books and all the source material. Um, you know, you go there's like multiple different wiki sites that all, you know, are filled with lore and everything. And um, so obviously, you know, uh, a game developer, you know, it's it's uh, an IP like that can be uh, considered a goldmine because you know that kind of takes out a lot of the legwork you would normally do when coming up with like. Uh, why, why are my players playing this game? What, what kind of world are they going to explore? Like, it's it's uh great from both, not just a player standpoint, to be able to experience their their favorite um IP in in a different format, but it's also good from a developer standpoint because that you know it kind of allows them to focus on making said game instead of having to worry about you know drumming up all this cool backstory which you know as far as a game developer goes that's that's also a fun part of doing the game but you know sometimes you don't have the um i guess the bandwidth to dream up your own fictional universe so why not yeah, as 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 we someone seen, else's it's not always easy to write a good story 
And exactly. it's not always easy to write a good setting for that story. And if you have a good setting backdrop that extends now to think almost almost four decades worth of material that you can draw from, um, it, it's kind of a really cool way to just drop you into a game that's fun to play and you can kind of carve out your own little mini story. Exactly. Because what's also nice about a property as big as Warhammer is you can kind of make any story you want and um, it can be a unique story just because of how the big the universe is, so to speak, even though in the setting universe, but just the fact that it expands over multiple planetary systems, solar systems, uh, so many different uh, really themes at this point, because what Wyatt alluded to is it's been getting really big into the books. I think there's over, it's like, what, 50, 50 books now you can get from the Blacker Library? It talks about a lot of different of the major characters from the setting. Uh, but I want to say, that it's important to still have a good writer uh, so you can actually write a story with a game people want to play. Because uh, sometimes people use the IP too much as a crutch. Um, as we've kind of seen with some other recent video game releases, you have Battlefield uh, 2042, which came out like a mess because it was marketed solely on the IP. But it wasn't the game itself wasn't great. And after a year of tons of patchworks, it's back to it's all right. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. It's, it's important but... not to uh, keep out on how to actually make a good game because uh, it can make things easier to use an IP, but you shouldn't use it as a crutch of, well, once those nerds come in and buy the game, doesn't matter if the game's good or not. We're off the hook. Them. We're off the hook. Uh, as you see with the... Uh, we'll talk about one of the sequels later on in the Dawn of War series. Which uh, is probably Dawn one of, War. of the most well-known uh, adaptations that really, I think, popularized and got a lot of people into the tabletop hobby. Oh, yeah. I've talked to people before um, when I asked them, I don't know how it comes up, you know, talking about yeah, nerd stuff and warhammer comes up and uh you know i i asked him like you ever heard of you know the tabletop game or anything like that and they're like well you know i've heard of it never played it but you know i i played dawn of war and all that and i'm like oh of course of course and yes dawn of war is um uh you know i hate to go out on a limb here and make such an absolute statement but probably probably the greatest 40k game ever made um I, yeah, I'm just going to say that because I I believe it. So I don't really have much of a rebuttal because uh, for the audience, what, what the Dawn of War uh, games are, there, there's a there's a total of four that came out with that title, um, with the main one. And three. then and then you had three expansions after that. Oh, oh um, we're still talking about Dawn of War. Well, one. I'm talking about okay. just Dawn of War. I haven't gone to the okay, sequels cool. yet. It's a whole different okay. can of worms we'll get to in maybe 10 minutes. Cool, cool. Um, for for everyone here, it's a a real time strategy game with a base building element. 
Uh, so essentially, every time you start a game, you have worker units that need to build up buildings, and then certain buildings are used to build certain units. And then a lot of these type of games, Dawn of War included, kind of operate on what's called a rock-paper-scissors system, where uh, a certain um, either unit or things that you can equip them with are good against and counter against another specific type of unit. And oh. what's up? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's what's on your mind, buddy. Um, I just kind of want, so yeah, you mentioned um, being able to equip your uh, units with different things and it kind of made me think of this thing. So I just kind of want to lay a b quick backdrop here. So Luke and I kind of got into, uh, real-time strategy games through StarCraft and uh, WarCraft, you yep. know, uh, respectively from uh, Blizzard, you know, back when Blizzard wasn't what they are today, unfortunately. But, bygone era, sadly. Yes. And, uh, you know, those games were great and they were awesome, but um, they were definitely going from those kinds of games to Dawn of War. It was definitely a, there was just a lot of really cool things that Dawn of War did. So, uh, before I say this, so uh, I gotta ask, did did uh, Company of Heroes come out before Dawn of War? Uh, it came out after. Okay, good, good, good. Because good, good. Dawn okay. of War, uh, and this is something we'll talk about when we get to the the numbered sequels, um, was one of the first games made by Relic that kind of goes into RTS, and okay. then thousand two thousand four Company of Heroes came out in two thousand six, I believe. Okay, cool. So this doesn't. It doesn't invalidate my point. So Dawn of War really took um, the reins with the squad-based real-time strategy. So, you know, those previous games I discussed, such as um, StarCraft, WarCraft, or even, you know, some so other... Far like, back to Command and Conquer. Really yeah, Command and Conquer. Um, it's all single Crusader units. Kings. Um, it, yes, exactly. Like Luke said... You just train a bunch of single units, and, and each unit is either an individual, like, you know, um, infantryman or, like, a individual vehicle or siege engine, you know? And, you know, you can uh, uh, select them all at once and move them, but at the end of the day, each unit is their own thing. So, however, comma, here comes Dawn of War, right? And they're basing this game off of a tabletop strategy game where your units are also organized into squads, right? So why not bring that squad mechanic into the computer real-time strategy space? And I think the way they did it was a very uh, fun and user-friendly way of doing it. You know, it it was not um, a very it wasn't an overly complicated system either. Yeah, it wasn't and, um, it wasn't clunky. But um, and it wasn't overburdened, but it was a novel idea that was adapted in a way that seemed like you had a lot more choices, not just at the building level, building your units, but even at the little squad levels. Exactly, because like not only were there like universal upgrades for your entire army, which is a standard uh, feature in a lot of RTSs, but each individual squad like. Luke mentioned earlier, you can you can kit them out with with a different unit or um a different weapons and upgrades to like so really if you if you wanted to no 
two squads had to be the same. Now, um, obviously, there are probably certain configurations that are quote unquote more meta than others, but you know that was never something that I was um, privy to. So I yeah, didn't really and, and, and even then, we usually ignored that because we always went for rule cool first and foremost, unless it was yeah. just like a awfully bad decision. And another neat thing that I think the squad uh, mechanic introduced that I hadn't seen before in an RTS is the ability to reinforce your squad like away from your base. So you had the w- you had a way of um, reinforcing your army without necessarily taking them away from the front line. And it was kind of like you had living front lines, not just because of that, but I will say it's a good apt comparison going to the other standard real time strategy uh, that was established by Starcraft, carried by Warcraft age of um, empires was another one that had this similar vein. You didn't camp around a certain resource field, whether, whether it was gold or wood or whatnot, but it was important that you got map control because the way you got resources in Dawn of War is through what's called these requisition points. And essentially, the more battlefield control that you had, the more resources that were coming in. That's kind of represent the logistics lines are a lot better since you have more um, command control of the area at the strategic level. So it give you more tactical resources. Indeed. I think great. that's another fun part of that with the squad combat is it really enforced you to care about overall map control instead of just looking at the primary areas of where people would make bases. So for the audience, a lot of maps, the way they're designed is usually um, based on the number of people it's designed to play on that map, whether it's 1v1, 2 versus 2 people, up to maybe 4 versus 4. Um, there's only so many adequate resource nodes that you can actually build around that's worth building structures. Whereas in Dawn of War, you can start making your front lines based off of whether you need just better control of the map. You can spread out your base more based on how your front lines are developing and um, how the you know general flow of the game's going as well based on what your opponents are doing. And then to add to that, uh, not only were the game mechanics great, I think they did a fantastic job of the just representation because the way they modeled the game, it really felt like you took your plastic soldiers and you put them into the video game and they're all animated. It brought the game alive. And it's like, this is what we imagine when we're moving them around on the table. I know. And that was part of the magic of when we first played the game. Because, you know, we... We had stumbled into a uh, 40k before, you know, uh, Dawn of War was a thing. So, like, our only exposure to this uh, setting was, um, you know, like Luke said, building and assembling, you know, your your little plastic armies and kind of shuffling around on a tabletop. And a lot of it was left up to, um, you know, the theater of mind or, or your imagination, which which is great and all. And that's a and granted. You know, fun way to experience it however when we heard that dawn of war was or when uh, 40k was getting its own strategy video game now granted 
Uh, they were games that came out before, but you know we were kind of a little young for uh, some of those earlier titles. So, and plus, I think this was probably the first big like 3D game that took place in the franchise, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, close to it. Uh, there is another one based off of the Ow. Oh yeah, race with Fire Warrior, but we won't talk about that one because that was a very poorly made game. Yeah, (laughs) which is funny because there's so many games that have been made with this IP that if they're not good, they just kind of fade away from memory. It's it's kind of funny where a lot of people don't talk about games with such hate because it's like sometimes you talk about things that release that were just awful and they'll be ever for known as awful, but it's like this kind of I guess subject matter with Warhammer is there's so many games and good games to talk about and compare to. It's like people kind of forget about the not so good or even just downright bad games. Which kind of goes into a point we'll talk about later, how loose that Games Workshop has been with the licensing. Um, There's (laughs) they don't really need the quality control because for whatever reason, the the great games, you know, like Dawn of War, that that really drive home how awesome the uh, material is in the background, just the IP. It really buries all the other ones that just couldn't even hold a candle. Whether it was just because maybe they're a niche, uh, so there wasn't a big audience based off the game that was made, or just the game didn't play well. Yeah, uh, I mean, just for better or for worse, they kind of just fade into obscurity. Which, yeah yeah and that can be in a whole episode on its own because sometimes there's a lot of really good games that people don't really know about but through the magical power of modding and um uh dang it what what's what's the uh systems people use to uh play old games emulation emulation um i think that's a great thing a lot of people have done to kind of save a lot of digital history that otherwise would just be lost because it's you know not profitable for the main ip holder so they don't really care about it there's actually a website it's uh it's literally just a bunch of old discontinued games that are just available for free to the public that yeah because that's um, uh so many many, uh properties it's just they're either so old or a lot of companies never want to buy it. So they did go into public domain and like no one owns the property. So um, there's like, there's comics that have that. There's a lot of literature. Everyone's familiar with the public domain literature usually. Um, But you know, that that's, that's its own topic that we'll definitely revisit. Um, Back to the Dawn of War series. Uh, The last thing that I will say that really helped it was not just the visual, but they did great on the sound design. It it really, mm-hmm. the music was great. You know, they did a really good job with the soundtrack, um, especially with how they differentiated it based off of, I think they differentiated across the different races. Maybe that was oh, they did. the future they ones. Did. Um, so it got you into the I- idea and, and, you know, you feel like an orc, you're going to be a brute kind of guy. Cause yeah, I Another think the voice thing acting gone... for the mo- most part was very, very well done, very true to what you think, um, you know, these alien races would sound like, or or like these like superhuman soldiers would sound like, or these these corrupted demonic warriors would sound like, like you know, 
it was almost as like when I was like hear the sounds of them, it was like that's yes, that is what they sounded like. It wasn't like, oh well, you know, they don't oh that doesn't sound Oh, like you know what I'm saying? Like like yeah. it, it just made sense. And you're just like, Yes, I can see that. And it kind of really brought a whole new um perspective uh to the setting and it was just cool to like we said before it it really made that setting come alive in a different way that you know isn't always possible with uh just you know reading the source material and theater of mind of all that so but yeah, the head canon cool. you know with that theater of mind it that's what you imagined and they did such a great right. job of adapting it based off of what you would read in the books and what was talked about in the background information, they did a good job of bringing that to the the visuals and the audio instead of just uh, our own imagination. So it's always great when they can hit it out of the park like that. And the game was so successful that Relic did make, they called the, the first one was an expansion that was Winter Assault. So that did require the, Dawn of War game, but then they made a standalone game with the same mechanics with Dawn of War Dark Crusade, and I think that was a cool idea at the time where you buy this game and you get all the content that's in it, but you're not required to have the previous games. So I I always thought that was a really unique way to say you'll get everything that we're offering in this box. However, if you have the prior ones, for multiplayer, you'll get to have the ability to play with the older races. Because one of the things when they added more games is you had different civilizations, different characters to play as in the uh, uh, multiplayer a, aspect. I think that was another thing that Dawn of War really um, kind of drove home. was So I think StarCraft was the first um, game to have like three... like completely different races that were all balanced against each other or yeah. you know quote unquote balance right and yep. at the time that came out that was crazy people that were was like, monumental wow, because you gotta sick. think about it it's hard enough making an rts with two unique factions be relatively yeah. competitive with each other based off of being different because i know a lot of people you know to have a good even competitive game usually everything has to be samey but no one likes mm-hmm. to use the samey stuff they want to be able to uh, make adjustments that fits their play style. So. Yeah, because because the early Warcraft games were, you know, you had orcs and humans, but in reality they were, I think they were ninety percent copies of each other. Yeah, they were they were mechanically the same for both Warcraft and Warcraft Two. They'd have uh, a couple a, special couple units on each specific side, specific ones, but even then they filled the same role on both sides, so they they were almost the same. So, but, and um. Dawn of War comes Dawn along. Dawn of War. And you had four separate factions that had a lot of different things you can try. And the way they played were different. Like, between playing the Space Marines, playing the Orcs, the whole way you build your economy was different. Oh, yes. And then, like Luke said, each expansion added more races. So by the time you got to your last expansion... You had nine different races to play as, which was, you know, very, very reminiscent about the tabletop. And honestly, I think one of the one of the minor complaints when Dawn of War first came out was like, oh, man, like, you know, 
There's only four races, you know. Everyone my, knows Space Marines. Where's my, my favorite guy? race isn't in the game. Well, by the time um, the fourth expansion came out, unless you were a fan of the Tyranids, you had, <laughs> there was a pretty good chance that your race was was in the game. And it's funny I say the thing about Tyranids because thank you to the community, the modding community. <laughs> anything is possible. So, you know, you can play the Tyranids. Thank you to, you know, a bunch of very talented and people with all with a lot of time on their hands to, you know, create user-made content, which, you know, I think that whole idea of um, the video game modding is... That's probably its own episode right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. We've definitely come up with two. To- Every episode we do, we come up with two more topics. I, I yeah. swear we'll, we'll never run out of things to talk about. For um, sure. But to uh, kind of kind of go a little bit forward and this, because there's there's other games to talk about besides Dawn of War, but it's just how much of a big deal it really was for me and Wyatt. Um, the, the series kind of had a refresh with a new numbered sequel. So they tried to change the formula a little bit. And as a callback to what you mentioned about Company Heroes, I think this is what kind of happened because based off of the success of that series, they wanted to use that engine. Uh, and I, I get, I understand why, right? Because, oh my gosh, trying to develop an engine and then getting a game that works really well, it's kind of like you don't want to keep building engines from scratch. That's that's a lot of work. That's oh, a lot yeah. of Apple investment. For sure. So. I understand why they shifted direction. It's just not what, what a lot of people were expecting. So no. with the Dawn of War series, it really was like an army versus army conflict on when you're playing the game. Mm-hmm. And what happened with going into Dawn of War 2, it shifted it more to the skirmish level. Um, a lot of your big 10-man squads were shrunken down to either 4 or 5-man. And then everything else from that, because that's that's assuming a lot of your baseline infantry were shrunk down to maybe two or three. And sadly, that was a really big juxtaposition in what people came to expect with the series. They're like, "What? Where? Where's all my big armies of dudes, dude?" It's like now I'm only playing with twenty guys, and before I had like a hundred and fifty all going all over the map. Now, um, however, despite that change, the game itself was still um, widely praised and accepted by a large number of people. You know, yep. I, 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 um, I have to admit, you know, I was really not one of those people, but, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Dawn of War 2 is a bad game or like, oh, it sucks just because I don't like it. You know, I'm self-aware enough to know that just because a uh, – uh, just because a good game isn't a game that I particularly enjoy doesn't mean I'm going to sit here and say it's bad. What? So, what? You, you mean people can like different things and not hate each other? Go fuck off, man. You know I know. That's a pretty about. crazy concept, you know. <laughs> breaking new ground here every time um, we come onto the podcast. And but... I, I was the same thing as, as Wyatt with that perspective. But after a few years, I did give it a chance. And what I kind of liked in the kind of reduction in the overall level that you're looking at going to like that more skirmish level. Uh, I think it was great for the campaign development. Um, They did a really good job with the campaign and how that was moving forward. I thought honestly, the single player was the best part of it. Whereas in Dawn of War, 
the single player was good, but everyone got it for the multiplayer part. Mm-hmm. And it kind of got switched over. Um, because yeah. the way the first Dawn of War was made, essentially the campaign was skirmish or multiplayer missions, but on a specific thing that was set up on the map based on the designers. Whereas in the campaign of Dawn of War 2, it was very different playing the campaign versus multiplayer. Because in campaign, they kind of added role-playing game elements where you would get equipment as well as having the same kind of people stay with you throughout from the beginning to end. And they would level up. they get better. they get more adept at what they do. And it kind of got you more attached to the characters. Which is and, definitely very cool and a very neat. And it was. It's innovative. I, I think it was a good good way to innovate. It's just what happened is I think the game didn't last as long community-wise because the multiplayer was lackluster. Because uh, because the way the engine is, uh, going from the Dawn of War engine to what they had in Dawn of War 2 was based off the company Heroes. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Company Heroes is a game made by the same company that was based in World War II. And um, the way they made that engine is it, it, instead of kind of having your guys move around, because a lot of RTSs, the area that everyone moves around is kind of like dressing. It doesn't really matter as much as positioning where they are, except for maybe elevation, but otherwise it didn't matter too much. Whereas in Dawn of War 2, it made it a big emphasis of if you guys want to not get shot up as bad, it's important to put them near a wall because then they'll take mm-hmm. cover in the wall. You know, it's important to get them into a building if you want them to really hold an area for a while without getting hurt too bad. It definitely um, was a lot more micro intensive. Yes. As opposed to macro. Yep. Um, but I, overall, I, I think it's still remembered pretty well. Uh, it's a shift in focus on what the game was, but it, I think they did a pretty good job with that because they had a follow-up. They actually had two follow-ups, and both expansions added uh, one, one additional playable faction each, as well as um, adding a pretty good story uh, addition as well. So, um, And Last Stand was cool. That, yeah, Horde mode, man. Uh, we'll, we'll probably get to that when we talk about Gears of War or maybe like <laughs> shooters in general that we've liked growing up besides Halo. Um, but I, I, I've never gotten tired of that. I always think that's a fun cooperative game. Um, so the folks here is like with Last Stand, you get one character and it's you and a few other buddies, and then you're just holding an area while enemies come in and you just try to hold out. Um, I think it's definitely one of the easiest ways to have a good co op mode is to do that because it's you know, you're not really fighting against another human player, it's another way to kind of get together and not be overly competitive. Uh, it's, I guess it's just a good, everyone's having fun kind of mode. Exactly. And then sadly, the house. Yeah. Yeah. If you're under the same roof, you know, it's good not to be angry at each other. Um, <laughs> the, uh, sadly, um, after Dawn of War two, and they finally came back with the third game, uh, it ended up becoming a flop because they were trying to take feedback from what people didn't like about the micro-level scale and add some more macro to it. However, I, it's, it felt like they took the worst aspects of both games and they put that together, and that's what you had with the third game. Um, I, 
I actually never played it. I've only read about the bad reviews, and it's like the game came out, and I think a year later it died. So there wasn't really anyone that was interested in playing it for very long. Yeah, I don't um, think they ever made an expansion for it. It just it didn't really capture anyone's attention with what they did with the shift because it wasn't quite the first one. It wasn't quite the second one. It was a weird hodgepodge of both, and it was like nothing clicked for anybody. So, which is sad because when I originally heard there was a Dawn of War three coming out, I was pretty excited. Yeah, but you know, as things go, and yeah, as we said in the beginning world of gaming. You know, you just can't get excited about things anymore. <laughs> you can't you can't use what you know as the crutch for making sure the game's going to be good. <laughs> but Dawn of War, right? That's this is like really only three little subsets of games and their expansions. There's actually been a ton of Warhammer games. I think they are almost up to 50 different video game releases. So, oh, yeah. We'll get going and talk about some of our favorites that we played from there. And one of the ones that uh, you got for the DS, the Game Boy Nintendo DS handheld, was the Squad Command. Oh, yeah. The Nintendo DS. Let's all close our eyes and think about the Nintendo DS. This, the original silver folding Nintendo DS. In what 2005. A, what a great console. What a great... It, you know, that really revolutionized what handheld what you thought handheld gaming was supposed to be you know coming from a freaking taco game boy advance to one of those it was like <laughs> oh well we both we both missed the sp the sp was pretty good but we both missed that the sp was nice you know the backlit screen and you know the folding screen and all that do you know how many double uh, a's we wasted with that the compact attachment ability? The to, to light the the advance, but that still oh, didn't even do jack shit. But I um, think two double A's, man. At the end of the day, the SP it was just it was still a Game Boy Advance, and for what it was, Game Boy Advance um was definitely awesome. You know, however, you know you're not playing 3D games on the Game Boy Advance. You're not. But playing... you were playing pretty good Super Nintendo. It's like it's pretty yeah. impressive. It's like, dude, I'm carrying like the Super Nintendo, but exactly. in my pocket, dude. And the DS comes out. And now you got 3D games in your hand. So, however, comma, it's still a handheld console. So, you know, it's not, you can't expect everything you would out of, you know, a PC game or like an at-home console game out of it. So, Squad Command might get a little bit of flack because of, uh, I'm pretty sure it only had the two races Space Marines or and Chaos Marines, if I'm yeah, and, and even then they only had I think two factions each for so, within within those races. Definitely not. We're not talking Dawn of War here. However, it was neat though. It wasn't a real time game. It was actually kind of closer to the tabletop where it was a, a turn based game, which was pretty cool. However, the battles were at a smaller scale, and instead of having squads, you had your which it's funny because Squad Command is, it's in the title, but in reality, instead of controlling multiple squads, you're controlling a single squad. So probably a group of like three to ten guys, tops, maybe a Dreadnought thrown in there. and uh, Or Predator. Some issues or predator. got Predator tank. Oh yeah, that's cool. But 
Turn-based, pretty cool for what you could do on the go with a DS. Definitely um, have some fond memories playing that. So it's it's a game that they knew what they wanted to do, and I, I think they did a good job emulating a small skirmish level of the tabletop on it. With with some added things like Overwatch and a couple other things, it's like, wow. Eventually, the tabletop game would implement it much later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, predicted the future. Yeah, unfortunate for my Blood Angels. <laughs> um, and then to keep in mind, uh, what why it's comment on just the limitations of a handheld console. Uh, a lot of the cartridges only had a maximum storage of five hundred and twelve megabytes. So it, it's actually pretty impressive what they were able to get out of the storage on that. Oh yeah, very impressive. And then uh, another game that I was really fond of, I, I I played the hell out of when we had it on the Xbox 360. It also came on the PlayStation 3, so say six-gen consoles, is the Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine. So Dawn of War did a great job of kind of like putting out onto the screen, oh yeah, this is exactly what I think of these guys. And, um, you know, it's definitely the universe I've been imagining. But Space Marine, I thought did the best to really demonstrate these are the emperor's angels of death. You have, there's three characters you're following in the story and you, you're playing as one of them and you're, you're taking on armies of guys and it really demonstrates how much of a, um, uh, force multiplier it is to have these superhumans that are all, cause it's like a lot of people, it's like, Oh, they just look like guys and, super looking power armor but it's like they're eight to nine feet tall you see them stand next to like what a normal human is and it's like they're they're freaking giants and i don't know i i love the kind of the the ferocity the the gunplay was fun the oh, multiplayer yeah. was fun it, it was like just another game where it's like they did a great job with adapting the setting to what kind of game they wanted to do the campaign was all right um they, they they could have written some stuff better but this the way they animated the game if you ever go back to play it look at the setting where you're going into the one in manufacturers for the warhound titans that you're supposed mm -hmm. to go secure they modeled the giant like pillar that's actually rotating uh, across from the factory and it has the shadow that follows it you can see it on the ground and it's it's not like a 2d kind of placeholder it's actually a fully 3d modeled object wow that's crazy like, they put in the effort it's like they didn't need to do that they, they, no. they you know they 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 modeled stuff that is so far away from where you could be as a character you, you can't really go up closer to look at it but with with people modding and they like to check out the games to see how how people developed them uh so a boundary breaking is what they call it you go up to it and it's like oh dude this is a fully rendered 3d object and it's like detailed like if they were expecting someone to go up right up to it kind of oh yeah and so it's kind of like it shows you the passion that makes a really big difference when the developers know the source material mm -hmm. so and what i think is neat about the game so I've definitely played the game before, but not, not probably to the extent Luke has, and uh, unfortunately, but um, I loved the horde mode in that one. The defense, the co-op mode in that was great. 
what I really think is neat is how it brings a different perspective of the setting that most people really don't think about. Like, cause you know, obviously Warhammer is a strategy game. Like it's mainly strategy game. You're mainly controlling large armies of, of uh, soldiers fighting other large armies of soldiers. And you are at the perspective of a, of a tactician, you know, whereas or general, yeah, or general where as in space Marine, we're kind of foregoing that and you're putting in the shoes of a single individual. And it's really cool to see that setting unfold from the perspective of, of a single uh, fighter. And it, it kind of also shows you how much more massive the setting is when you're seeing it from the eyes of, of a single person. So yeah, the boots on the ground, that. so to speak. Exactly. <laughs> so. Definitely a great way to diversify the setting and kind of, you know, um, illustrate the setting in a more complete way. In addition to, you know, the more uh, traditional strategy standpoint. So, And then, if you want a game that's just more arcadey fun, but with a backdrop that you know and love, we played, there's a small game on the Xbox 360 uh, from what was the arcade, so it wasn't like a full release. You can go buy it at the stores or to the electronic store. Was uh, Kill Team. That was a co-op twin-stick shooter that me and Wyatt played. Oh, yeah. And those are always fun. Yeah, and I, I, I thought it was it was great for what it was. Um, you know, I, I think it had, like, what, four different classes of the Marines you can pick from. And it was just you and your buddy going through uh, fighting. I think it was orcs because you, you end up going into a uh, orc cruiser then you fight tyranids as like the surprise oh crap they're on this too kind of thing and um it for what it was it was a simple game but it was you know that's a fun way to kind of just play in a setting that you are familiar with it makes the game a little bit better just having that backdrop and then i will say the one that's been adapted the most is with Space Hulk. So people love their Space Hulk. The original game was released as a board game that came with miniatures that you would build and then you, you could also use in the tabletop game of Warhammer. But with Space Hulk, you had the Marines versus the Gene Stealers. And the goal of the Marines is usually there's an objective somewhere on these this map with very narrow corridors. Usually you can only go down one guy wide down the corridors um and it was a very big thing to decide where to go or because your opponent could start setting up ambushes because they don't actually start on the map right away they can choose where to be that's out of sight line from the marine player that's on there and it's been funny to see how many different adaptations there have been of the board game some have been direct kind of a copy of how the board game plays itself just into a video game environment. So it helps to streamline things, for instance, um, by, by, you know, not having to reference the rules that you know what you can do when you move and it's going to automatically do stuff like overwatch. Um, and you know, it makes it easy to play the game because you don't need a second person because the computer can manage the other side. Mm -hmm. And then it goes as far as to, I don't know if you remember the Warhammer 40,000 Deathwing game that came out and that's where they kind of took the idea of space hulk but they put that into a first person co-op shooter oh yeah 
I don't know if I've ever played that, but sadly, the game was buggy. Um, so so much buggy they had to remove the original release and replace it with an enhanced edition. So oh, it, it, right it wouldn't just crash on you. Um, if you get a chance, look at the review by uh, Mandalore Gaming. Okay, he, he does a pretty good one to cover the pros and cons of it. Um, but that's a game where it's like the developers are definitely big fans of the IP, mm-hmm. but they're a little over their head in terms of I don't think they do a very good job quality control checking. Yeah, um, a lot of the good ideas are there, but oh my gosh, it's just buggy and 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 when you have things that are so buggy sometimes it's like it's just not fun to play and there's a lot of things they didn't iron out well but the idea was really cool to kind of like put you in the shoes of the terminator and be like this just this shit's scary dude uh fighting all these aliens on these giant ships that have been space hulks yeah space (laughs) hulk so the characteristic space hulk is usually a hodgepodge of ships it's like space this giant floating space debris mm-hmm. that ends up popping in and popping in the setting um, based on the travel, I guess. But uh, that's, that's where the setting takes place. You're, you're just in one of these space hulks. You're not, you're not actually not that. Um, but it's, it's kind of another game. that's kind of like, you know, gone away by the wayside people know of it but just because the the, the game wasn't polished well uh, a lot a lot of people kind of forgotten about it uh, people at least remember it because it, it looked really nice they did a really good job on the graphics the visuals put you into the setting but playing the game itself was like eh. um, <laughs> I, I will say there's a really cool unique version of space hulk that was released in 93 on the playstation and what was interesting about that is everything was done in real time. So you're managing your guys and moving them around on the tactical interface. And then you can go into these cameras that has a, the viewpoint for each of the five guys in your squad. And everything's happening in real time. So it's like hectic because the enemy gene seals, the alien that you're fighting against, they're spawning and running towards you in real time. Yeah, which is pretty scary to think about, especially and, when you're like, Doing your menu management and all that. Yeah, yeah, and it's claustrophobic because, like I said, most of these hallways are only shoulder to shoulder for one person. Um, and what was kind of unique about it is you could control one guy, and that'll be like your main screen that pops up, and then you can see the cameras for your other four on the top of the screen. And you can be shooting with him. You can be unjamming his gun and whatnot. It's kind of like a lot of um, a lot of modern games where you can like go down to the soldier level and control a soldier while you're playing at the macro level and you know it's more efficient than when you can play as a single soldier since you're not ai controlled there's a lot more things you do or think about that the computer can't really think about because that's new simple things uh without breaking down but um that was like a cool hybrid version of being like the board game but then giving you some additional control and trying to imagine it happening all at once right so for sure now, I want to ask you, why? is there any future adaptations that you're hopeful for? Is there, is there anything that you've seen that's been lacking and you haven't seen produced? Or is it has the offerings been pretty good for the setting that you're not really hankering for too much? You just you'll check something out if, if it well, comes out. There's nothing that I'm like dying to see. But since you're asking, 
and I'm thinking of this like just right now. Yeah. I think it would be really really cool and if if it's done well if they had uh kind of like a Elder Scrolls or Fallout S kind of RPG where you bought and you could just make a character of like any of the however many races with I think there's like 9 10 races at least in the co or um in the tabletop game. There's uh 14 now. Yeah, 13. <laughs> Maybe not even all 13 of them. I don't know. Just pick eight, you know? And I think that'd be neat. Just kind of have some kind of open world RPG kind of style game. And, you know, maybe you don't even need to have the Space Marines be one of the races. Maybe you focus on races where, um, you know, we're not doing some crazy conflicts and stuff. Because there, there is a lot of... Uh, 40k RPG material, especially uh, what's it called, Dark Imperium. Yeah. So there's like four, or no, there's like six different Dark Imperium. Well, you got that. You got Rogue Trader. You got a yeah, a lot exactly. of stuff where it's like it kind of goes back to the setting so big that you can focus on just a small subset of it, and that can be your whole setting for what you're looking at or playing. Because I know they were looking at like making an MMO or something, but. I don't know, it there's... didn't work out well. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they they released it, and it was just another MMOs are hard. I they are hard. I, and... I I don't think people understand how hard it is to make a live game that's hosting like two thousand people at one time. Yeah, it's 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 a completely different beast than just like a a single player RPG. But I but think I, I will say if you want to wet your teeth on something in the meantime, there's a game called a uh, uh, Warhammer 40k Inquisitor, uh, and that plays kind of like a Diablo 2 kind of RPG. Oh yes, I have. I, mean, I, I, have I know you'd that. enjoy that. Uh, I've gotten that on the Xbox for one of the free games for the game Gold. So okay, um, I, I I think it's it's pretty good uh, for 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 an RPG. You know, the classes you can pick and the storyline, what you're trying to do. But there definitely isn't anything like a big open world that kind of like, here's your guy, here's the main quest, but uh, go have fun. Go enjoy and explore the thing. Oh, yeah. So I think I think that'd be pretty neat. Now, definitely, it'd definitely be a massive undertaking. So I definitely am not, like, upset that nobody's done it yet. But I bet we might see something in... Uh, I can't even say five years anymore because games take so long to develop based off of the uh, just the hardware. Code just gets so ridiculously big. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they would make that, to be honest. Because we have, we have an issue with industry right now. Just They don't really like single-player games. They, they think it's an awful way to market. Even though that the Elden Ring... And some others, like, you know, the Harry Potter release that came out like a month ago have really demonstrated Gosh, yeah. that if you make a good single player game, everyone in grandma is going to buy it. And the money will come. Money. If you uh, make good game, the money will come. Imagine that. You don't have to nickel dime people with microtransactions to make a buck. I know. And, and, you know, what's great, you don't piss everyone off either. They buy the game. They have the whole game, and it's like, wow, that was. And then fun. you know they'll probably buy your next one. <laughs> what? Like the people, no. like you said, no, Elden yeah. Ring. That's like their freaking. What number game is that? Like eight or nine for them? 
Uh, well, you got to actually remember that's the same group that started all the way in Kingsfield with PlayStation. Oh my gosh, yeah, Kingsfield. From Software actually has a pretty big catalog at this point. What a trip um, playing that game for 15 minutes was. That's yeah, I uh I'm I I didn't even think about playing it. I I've, I've seen what it looks like and I'm like, <laughs> nope. I I have much better games I could spend my time with. Yeah. If you want to play a game that was like harder than Dark Souls, but you know, uh, not a fun way. game, but not in a fun way. Go play Kingsfield. Oh yeah. my gosh! Break out your PlayStation One emulator. I'm very excited for the new Armored Core, though. I don't know if you saw the trailer for that. What? Released. Yeah. So look up Armored Core Six. They did oh a trailer end of last year, uh, just because of how well From Software did it with Elden Ring. They have the money and the bandwidth to do development now in Armored Core 6. Oh my god, no wonder why those games are so good. That's the same company who made Armored Core. It is! Can you believe that? Oh, They're the same It all people. makes sense now. It's all coming together. Uh, just quick reference for everyone here. So Armored Core, it's a uh, mecha game. Um, you know, imagine like, uh, I don't know, Pacific Rim or uh, what would be like another equivalent that people have seen. Gundam, maybe? Gundam, yeah. If, if, if you've seen the... Uh, the anime show or the Gundam figures. I know it's a big, that's actually a big hobby item now. Um, so a human would pilot these big mechs. And one of the cool things about the game is just the customization. You want a really fast mech. You want a really big heavy duty mech. I've never even played anything after Armored Core 1. I've only played the first one. I played, I, I played through one finally, like I think two years ago, I actually did the full campaign and like the ending was like, what that was nuts dude i don't know if you ever played to the end but it's like the ending's like well that was a uh that was a twist yeah it's um, pretty, pretty crazy i have uh armor core 4 i got for the xbox um which really is just like a really good put together version of armor core 1 it's okay. crazy how they kept it so well for so long that's good to um, hear that's good to hear yeah at, given in the company that they are they're you know from software if people aren't aware of them they're they're responsible for the dark Souls series that that people talk about a lot they're they're definitely a company that likes to make a fun game they try to make a cool game on a certain idea so whether it's the mecha franchise with armored core or kind of like the dark medieval aspects they do with dark souls no uh, i mean they branched out to 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 eastern uh, i think japanese was with the uh shadow dies twice mm-hmm. and then um yeah, like old Victorian Lovecraftian horror, Bloodborne. Oh uh, yeah, really a uh, really cool company that definitely should check out if you like any type of like action games, action like games, action RPG ish. Good games. But um, going back to the topic, I I think it would be cool if they could make a awesome robust version of the tabletop game, um, just because of a lot, a lot of folks nowadays are just, they're just not close to each other. I know when a lot of people leave college, especially, you know, everyone moves away uh, based really with work. It all comes down to where they get their job and then you know, they move to where the work is. Um, I know you played a lot of folks in the army with, mm-hmm. with Warhammer. And um, yeah, I know you do still talk to them a lot. A lot of them are still in the hobby, but it's, it, it sucks because, you know, everyone's all dispersed all over the place. Um, and know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a whole freaking thing to just get the game out and and get it set up and play which 
you know, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but it's definitely it's definitely an event. Yeah. When you um want to sit down and play a game, so. But I think it'd be cool to uh, kind of translate that into because that's it's getting to be a more popular thing where you translate a lot of heavier board games into a video game environment. Um, oh yeah, I, it I... helps with not having to lug all the stuff around. It's like if you really like playing the games, the mechanics of the games, you can get to it and play with it. Um, and let's be honest, it's probably a lot cheaper. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's at the end it's of the $60 day, dollars one time. You're good to go. I mean, even then, you look at the Total War Warhammer series, where it's like, I think if you buy all the DLC, it's like a hundred bucks, but it's like still like, uh, dude, you you still need yeah. an army. A hundred bucks, you're just getting started. <laughs> yeah, that's like game. Congratulations, you bought twenty miniatures. Yep. Twenty <laughs> miniatures for a hundred bucks, Luke. You think this is mid two thousands? <laughs> oh, don't make me cry, dude. Um, Goodness. but I, I I think that'd be a really cool thing that. I wouldn't agree. take away from the hobby itself. I, I think it actually really does bring a lot of people to the physical tabletop. Because as you said, doing it physically is an event. And that's something you remember. Like, I still remember our game we played back in October of last year. And oh, I yeah. remember how the games, the two games went. Mm -hmm. uh, little story, narrative stories we were building out of it as we were playing it. Oh, and yeah. Like, dude, I, I still remember that giant battle that I know we discussed already in the the Warhammer 40k episode where I don't know, maybe was it like 20 or 30 people that were playing on that giant scenario battle where we had us. Oh my our gosh. squad each dude. Yes. I just, that was yes. like a big apocalypse battle or something. Monolith. <laughs> you destroyed it with your, you know what a monolith was. I, I just thought it was funny. Cause like the guy that had it, his jaw dropped cause he didn't expect it to lose it so fast. <laughs> it, was, it was destroyed by fucking Terminators. Hey man, those power fists, you gotta watch out. Yeah. And um I think it's it's funny you bring that up because you know you can technically play um forty K via tabletop simulator. However, comma, I do think uh man, I hate that I just said that. That's something one of my <laughs> old commanders would say all the time. But um <laughs> I think having a dedicated game would definitely bring a lot more people into the space. Cause yeah, you know, you can do it on tabletop simulator. However, it is, that's, that's kind of a thing too, you know, it's cause you kind gotta... of, it's kind of a virtual equivalent of an event because yes. it, it provides all the materials so you can play it virtually, but you have to set everything up still. Exactly. You still <laughs> have to manually set it up, which is, I guess that's part of the tabletop experience that you're simulating <laughs> so you know you can't really knock that no but no um, having a game that would be streamlined with like a good menu system and like an army building system where it's all built in and it's like you can buy your guys in real time and it like keeps track of the points for you and the points update themselves and no yeah i think that'd be really really cool and then maybe they can even animate it too so like well, of course, if, if you're it's playing the same you know. game as you would on the tabletop, but instead of just sliding static, you know, meshes around, you're watching them run around. So, yeah, no, I really and, think. And what's kind really of funny cool. is there's a game similar to that. If you look at Sanctus Reach and um, a few of the games by Slytherin Studios, where they've kind of done that at the epic scale uh, for people that don't know. Oh, the, yeah. 
Epic Warhammer Epic was a specialist game system that kind of looked at the level of now you're looking at your guys fighting over a continent instead of yeah. like the over dedicated area. Oh, this so is really cool. I'm your, your, at right your, now. your guys on the table were really tiny, like really, really tiny. The mm-hmm. things that were what would be a big tank could just be like a little box. And then you have a little infantry that are even smaller than that. Um, but yeah, what I think they did is they did a pretty good uh, adaptation of taking a lot of the crunch that is from that scale and putting that oh. in an animated version. So I'll check that out. I accidentally started playing a trailer and it just was really loud in my <laughs> ear. I jumped. <laughs> oh, well, it didn't come through. So good noise canceling. <laughs> uh, no, that 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 definitely looks cool. I didn't even know that was a thing. And it's for sale for six dollars right now. Right yeah. now, because it is now the spring sale for Steam. So all the games you've been wanting for a while, go go check out your wish list. They're probably they're not even sponsoring us. <laughs> no, no one's no one's sponsoring no sponsors us. yet. So anything no. we tell you to do, we're doing it because we think it's out cool. of the goodness of our hearts. Yes, we're not paid chills yet. Give us another year <laughs> or ten. <laughs> anyways but yeah the video game versions of uh warhammer 40,000 i think it's a kind of good way to dip your toe in to white's point it's not really breaking the bank trying to check out any of these um you kind of get an idea of what the setting's about and like why me and white are so invested into it to spend hundreds of dollars on little plastic soldiers to play with each or pewter or well, pewter not, not these days so, you get them for Lord of the Rings, though. Made I order. Know. It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, I think that's... Uh, I, I think for now, we're going to have to shelf this because uh, it's already been a whole hour, which is crazy to me. Definitely doesn't feel like an hour. So. Talking about stuff we love. It's, it's what happens. I know. So, Yeah. Check out some of this stuff if you want. You don't have to, but... It's there, and uh, luckily, a lot of the games we talked about they're uh, they're uh, they're uh, older too, so you can get them pretty cheap. So that's pretty cool. And that's too. what's great about video games; they don't hold their value. Dawn of War. Let's see how much. Like you can get you can get the original Dawn of War for right now for three dollars and twenty four cents. So if you if you're curious, you can go check that out on steam so dude it's it's crazy to think that's like that's 10 hours of entertainment right there at the bare minimum and yeah yeah because i'm just thinking like that's going through the campaign then playing a couple maps on your own but if you really like it do a lot of variations i just uh if people say they're bored nowadays i'm like what i look at them funny i'm like there's no way you can be bored nowadays it's easiest time to find something to entertain you for freaking two candy bars, you can buy a game. Pretty crazy to think about. It is. All right. Well, with that, I think we're gonna have to end it here. And uh, Luke, off. it's always a prep. It's always a pleasure. So these rising suns are now setting.